Welcome back to the Headspace Adelaide Sessions podcast. My name is Claire from the Community Engagement Team here, and today we're recording from the Headspace Adelaide Centre, so you might hear some nice office background noises throughout this recording. Today we're having a chat about turning psychosis around, and I'm joined here today by Angus, who's someone with lived experience of psychosis, who's agreed to join us today to share their experience. Hello, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming along, appreciate it. And we're also joined today by Danny, who's a clinician from the Headspace Adelaide Early Psychosis Team. G'day folks, how are you going? Thanks for having me along as well. That's all right. thanks for being here. Um, so I guess first off, we just want to have a little chat. Danny, can you please explain to us um, the diagnosis of psychosis and generally a little bit more about it? I will certainly give that a try. It's a pretty tricky thing to try and wrap your head around. Yeah. Um, no pun intended there. But um, I guess uh, you know the way we think about psychosis is that it's an experience where a person you know, can have a lot of problems interpreting the world around them. And they might, you know, see or hear things that other people can't or have unusual beliefs, you know, I guess we call that hallucinations. Mm-hmm. They can be pretty pretty scary and pretty terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's lots of other symptoms too, and I guess psychosis is a bit like that. We, we look for a, a cluster of, of symptoms really before we can make any sort of diagnosis. So other symptoms might be things like confused thinking, um, just you know, having problems putting your thoughts together um, and making decisions, kind of uh, you know, understanding other people, communicating, or even being able to express your own ideas can can get pretty tricky. Um, one of the things that we actually see a lot as well is people struggling with their ability to concentrate, um, and you know that can affect all the areas of their life, you know, work and leisure and mm-hmm. relationships and. Um, you know, being able to follow a conversation or remember things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really different, and it's really different for everybody that experiences a psychosis. Um, some people might talk to us about their thoughts speeding up or slowing down or actually not having any thought process at all. Okay. We'll call that symptom poverty of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, some people present with false beliefs and, um, you know, we'll refer to those as delusions, and there's lots of different types of delusions. Um, but people can believe in these ideas with great conviction yeah. um, and you know, their, their reality can be quite different from other people's. Yeah. Um, they might believe they're being followed or they might be experiencing a lot of paranoia or fear. Mm-hmm. Um, they might feel like they're being watched by cameras or someone's out to get them or even that they're sort of getting some what we call ideas of reference. So people might feel like they're getting particularly special messages from the TV or the radio or particular songs or billboards or things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it can be, can be very scary. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, I can talk about hallucinations a little bit more, um, which is something that we that is a really common feature in psychosis. And so, you know, hallucinations is hearing or seeing something that isn't there, or even feeling something or even smelling something. Um, for example, people might hear noises or voices. Um, they might know the voices talking to them. They might not know them. They yep. can be described inside their head or outside their head. Um, they might see strange things or faces or objects at the window. Um, they might experience a strange taste in their mouth. They can't explain, or you know, smell things that other people can't. They even feel things on their skin. You know, people often yeah. talk about feeling like bugs crawling on their skin and okay. all that sort of thing. So. Um, a big feature too that comes along with psychosis is people's emotional experience and they will often talk about or appear to be cut off from the world and other people. Um, 
they might people with the psychosis might seem to be feeling less emotion. Yeah. They might present with what we call a, a blunted effect. So uh, that means uh, not having a lot of emotional reactivity or expression, you know, smiling, laughing, or even feeling upset. You know, mm -hmm. Just a very blank type of expression. Um, and I guess probably the other major area that is a bit of a pointer for some people around psychosis is that people's behaviour can change. Yeah. Um, along with psychosis people go through what we will call a prodrome period and often that's where behaviour changes occur but it's not really picked up on. So people might withdraw from activities they previously enjoyed, they start struggling at school or work, start having relationship problems, okay. um, you know, lose a job, all that sort of thing. So that prodrome's kind of before everything comes Quite in. Quite often, yeah, um, that can be for, you know, six or 12 months of prodromal period. Yeah. And then person might present with a, a psychosis at a, at a hospital. Yeah. If we can identify that someone's at risk in their prodrome and get intervention early, we can avert a full psychotic episode. That's what we try to do. So, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, th those behavioural pointers are important to, to look out for. Um, you know, people might do things that are a bit nonsensical. They might laugh when things don't seem funny or become angry or upset without any, any ob obvious reason. Um, yeah, they might stop hanging out with their mates, their friends, um, or someone might just seem um, sort of irritable or excited in a way that you can't really kind of mm. explain. So, but you know, one of the key things to remember is it's really different experience for everybody. Yeah. And try and understand, and uh, each person's internal world is, is our job. I yeah. Think, sometimes. Yeah, it sounds like it's a range of things, and it could present differently for different people and in different ways. Um, do we know much about the causes of psychosis or even the treatments associated with it? We do, we do, and we've learnt lots in you know the last couple of decades of research in this area, and a lot of that research you know supports the development of headspace services. But yeah, um, you know, like lots of mental health difficulties, psychosis can be caused by a real combination of different things. We we rarely see one thing that we go, oh, that's mm. why someone's psychotic. It's usually a whole range of different stresses that might be occurring concurrently at the same time or they might sort of build up over a period of, of time so um, some people are more predisposed to psychosis because of their genetics as well so there's been a lot of research in that area where we know that if someone has a first degree relative with schizophrenia that they're in a higher sort of risk group of, yeah. of um, developing a psychosis doesn't necessarily mean that person will go off yeah. and, and develop a psychosis, yeah. but it's certainly been identified as a as a high risk category. Um, and you know, life. If people have a lot of struggles in life and maybe a lot of um, difficulties and possible trauma, um, you know, by trauma it could be something like abuse or mm -hmm. you know, family separation or involvement in the childcare centre or the legal system. Um, those stresses tend to be contributing factors to the development of psychosis as well. So yeah. there's lots of things, I mean, just to give you a few examples, um, stresses like grief and loss, um, substance use, difficult times with relationship with family or friends, problems at school, I mean, there's a whole range of yeah, really can be Yeah, so many different so things, yeah. yeah. There's going on an individual journey with everyone. So. Yeah, of course. Um, and in terms of treatment, I, you know, I've this work for a long time and I think we see treatments come and go but what we understand is that there's not the same treatment for everybody yeah treatment has to be individual and it really needs to be holistic so there's a number of pillars in that um, 
you know, primarily people uh, would need to go through a period of stabilisation if they're experiencing psychosis, and mm -hmm. that often involves some medication and maybe a hospital admission or having medical reviews, and the medications can be really effective. Um, but that's not everything. There's um, counselling and talking therapy uh, for people to learn and, uh, about psychosis and mental health and their own mental health, yeah. so to receive what we call psychoeducation. Um, family support, um, support through other key relationships, whether that be through you know partners or key figures in the community, um, but that sort of relational support is really really important, and um, that's a really strong part of people's recovery. And you know practical support too. People need to know what to do and how to get help and yeah. how to kind of deal with stuff at work if they get unwell. And mm. you know, so I guess we try and yeah a very holistic sort of approach yeah for sure thanks for giving us a bit of an overview of some of the different signs and symptoms of psychosis it definitely sounds like it's individual for everyone but they have similar traits and options for people and i agree it's definitely a holistic approach and it's great that we are doing that from um, the center and headspace i think that holistic approach is really important for young people um speaking of young people <laughs> i think we're going to have angus jump on now and give us a little bit of chat of his lived experience Thanks for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. Awesome. Um, so I guess to start off with, can you give us a bit of background about yourself and your initial journey that led to your diagnosis? For sure. So a bit of background first. I'm a 23-year-old male who has only just finished a university degree of teaching with a focus on physics, chemistry and maths since graduating year 12 in 2014. I'm involved in a number of community activities within my religion as a Christian and have always been a leader, I guess, uh, by being good with logistics and planning and generally being a confident young person who knows what they're doing. I'm the youngest of three and have a very loving and supportive family behind me and a, relative good network, a relatively good network of friends and support. So you're probably thinking as a listener, have they invited the right person? Because <laughs> um, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't particularly sound like someone who would go through uh, major depression, mm. high anxiety yeah. and an experience of psychosis uh, with some of the very symptoms Danny was sharing with us earlier. So what was really happening in this young person's life, in my life no less, uh, for all of this to occur? Well... Uh, during school, I experienced a lot of low-level bullying. Now, it was small, mm. but over an extended period of time. And as any student can say, and now as a teacher, I see this too, bullying decreases one's self-esteem and social confidence, particularly if it comes from friends, people we trust. Mm. So over time, my anxiety increased. I became withdrawn from my social groups and... I found it really difficult to communicate in social settings. Right. So to cope, I pursued my education more. I continued to build on and lead a busy life with regular church commitments and committees or sporting engagements. Yeah. I never really held back. I never said no. Mm. I did succeed in school with the school's highest recognition and graduated year 12 in 2014, but Despite all this, my social confidence was getting worse and I was starting to question my friendships, uh, mm. even those closest to me. But I kept pushing on. So my first year of university, 
uh, it was a bit of a shock. I was suddenly <laughs> alone, uh, fighting for myself. Definitely I no longer life. had those friends nearby, mm. even with the bullying, mm. um, or any teachers to rely on. So by December 2015, if you're keeping track, after my first year of university, <laughs> my life had become extremely busy and stressful. Weird experiences were beginning to happen. I was struggling even more to communicate and concentrate normally, to walk and act normally. I was becoming deeply lost in my own thoughts. I was self-conscious constantly, but I kept saying yes to things. It's what I did best. <laughs> I said yes to go overseas on mission work. It was horrible. I was so anxious and out of my comfort zone, mm. even though my own sister and brother-in-law were there with me. And upon returning to Adelaide, if that wasn't enough, I said yes to an intensive Bible study camp in early January 2016. Wow. I couldn't study effectively as I had the year before. Mm. I couldn't process information and I could barely sleep. But I said yes to a cricket match at the Adelaide Oval on Wednesday the 13th of January 2016. I was antisocial, making silly decisions and struggling to get out of my thoughts and just enjoy the game and the atmosphere. It was too much. One of my best friends stayed the night and even that had no joy to the extent I cannot even remember what we did. Wow. Um, I can remember the way home because yeah. that was stressful too. Mm. But besides that, that's it. Mm. And on Friday the 15th, symptoms were getting worse. So as I did, I began to do my own research on anxiety and depression. I related to what I saw. That must be, must be what's going on. So mm. I finally chose to go to my GP with my parents' support. And when I presented to my GP, I had that one objective in my mind, to be diagnosed with depression. Mm. Uh, on advice of those around me, I'd written down a number of things to talk about, but when I got there, I was too anxious to share those thoughts. They were too personal, so I found another solution, I guess. Mm. Uh, there was discussion about antidepressants, but I didn't want medication. Yeah. Uh, it's a big leap. Yeah. Even my GP was of the opinion not to prescribe antidepressants to yeah. a 17-year-old mm -hmm. who was, at least at the appointment, appearing to be functioning well yeah. and seeking help. And they're all good things. Mm. Except for the fact that I was acting, if you like, as a functioning young person. Mm. I was good at it. I'd had a lot of practice yeah. all through school, all through yeah. uni. Um, that's how I got by. I walked away with a referral to a specialist psychologist and the first available appointment was late the next week. But I could not last that long. Right. I was becoming extremely dependent on mum and dad to look after me at home and, you know, I'm 17 and if I'm relying on mum and dad for everything, that's really hard. Mm. I would find myself just standing there, waiting to open a drawer to go and have a shower. It's like I couldn't process the things we normally do without thinking. Yeah. Those simple tasks became almost impossible. We got to Sunday. That's only two days later. On Sundays, I normally go to church mm -hmm. uh, every week, but I couldn't pull it together as I had previously. I now couldn't even act to be a functioning 
young person, so mm. I was in no functioning state to even go. There was only one option. I asked dad to take me to the ED or the emergency department. Okay. Within only an hour or two of arriving, I'd been seen by four different doctors in three different areas, and first in the ED, then in the general mental health ward, mm. and finally in the secure short-stay mental health ward and was eventually put under the Mental Health Act. And the date is 17th January 2016. For those who may not have heard of the Mental Health Act before, it's essentially where the young person they are seeing are not in a state that they can look after themselves. They're at risk to either themselves or those around them. And I do agree with the assessment they made. I'd like to point out here also that the doctors and registrars that I spoke to that day were extremely supportive. They had many questions, and there were actually only two questions I could answer (laughs) during this time, at least out loud and confidently. Are you having any thoughts of harming yourself or of suicide? No. Have you ever been involved in taking drugs or alcohol? No, never. Like, never. (laughs) I even began smiling if they asked me those questions, because to me, they've asked me already ten times, and I've already said no, so why are you keeping on asking me? Mm. Um, I guess I was easily sidetracked during this time, easily distracted, very easily confused. I couldn't share anything about what I was going through. Mm. I mean, I could think of everything they wanted to know, not not necessarily in a logical order, yeah. but in my thoughts I could still answer their question, just never actually tell them out loud. So they had very little to work on, and it was a Sunday night. So the Mental Health Act with the registrar on duty was the right thing to do. Mm. I couldn't sleep because all I would do was think. My brain never slowed down. At one point, I even had the delusion that if I did fall asleep, I wouldn't wake up, which makes it even harder to try and get to sleep. I didn't sleep one bit that night in hospital. In fact, I don't think I'd slept at all for the past month Mm. or much at all. And lying perfectly still doesn't count because I can remember every single one of those Mm. visits Mm. by the nurse every 30 minutes as they checked on the ward during the night. I mean, at least for them, I was a nice, calm patient and and there for the ride. If you consider my symptoms in light of what we've heard from Danny, I would say that I was extremely anxious about my own thoughts. Mm -hmm. I perceived I could read other people's minds and what they were thinking about me. Conversely, they could also read what was going on in my mind. So that very idea of being very confused and having confused thinking. And unfortunately, this perceived ability of they know what's going on in my mind is not very effective during clinical assessments. So Mm -hmm. I needed to tell them what was going on and that wasn't happening. Ideas of reference where every conversation advertisement news article was directed at me. I thought they were mentioning or talking about depression or about seeking help because I was there. Um, it That's really the only way to describe it. It's, it's quite a weird feeling. Yeah. Um, but again, not actually that effective in encouraging me to seek help. Mm. The diagnosis I received and one I relate completely to Uh, It wasn't necessarily determined until further into my treatment, but it was major depression with psychotic features. My emotions were depressive. 
they were cut off and I was completely disinterested in everything that was going on, yeah. even sport that I was involved in at mm. the time. Not to mention the anxiety that continued around food. I was finding it extremely difficult to eat, not because I didn't want to eat, but because I felt like I was going to be sick. And in fact, sometimes that became the unfortunate reality. Yeah. And so I was steadily losing weight. And although the listeners can't see me, <laughs> I'm generally quite a slim person to start with. So yeah. to lose weight is really not that good. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned that you researched into things and you kind of reached out to begin with and even though maybe it didn't happen in the best way for you in the first way you still even when you ended up in hospital you asked for that and mm. I think that's a really interesting point that reaching out um, even when you're quite distressed is good and it's great to hear that you had that supportive family there to help you with it um, how did you feel about getting the diagnosis and that process well, the first time I heard the word psychosis was definitely hard. Yeah. It was different. Um, Had you heard of it before? Not really, no. Yeah. And even when they tried explaining it to me, it didn't make 100% sense at the time. Yeah. Um, I think I really only went along with it because it offered a way out of hospital. Interesting. Um, I was essentially in some form of denial. Yep. Uh, for quite some time but at least if I could get out and back home and they were going to come to me that that was a win mm. um, I was encouraged around the concept of early psychosis yep. uh, the clinicians with Headspace were quite positive on uh, what they meant what that meant for my future health it was that sense of hope like it's it's really not that bad yeah. you can get through it um, and it's, I guess it's important to note that my diagnosis focused most on depression. So that was yeah. the main focus of my treatment, that somehow, and I know it doesn't quite work like this, but somehow everything else would fall into place if we can focus yeah. on um, depression. And it was definitely easier once that was recognised for me. Having already accepted depression on some level by doing my own research and <laughs> just by sort of agreeing with that it made it easier as well that yeah. made me want to stay with what they were doing they were reflecting my strengths and uh, working with me to get better psychosis was still a big jump for me initially but once I came to appreciate that it really was just a result of this untreated depression that had been going on for a long time it was affecting how I was thinking and processing and it really just made a lot of sense yeah it's um, great to hear that you kind of got hope instilled from the Headspace team when they came and visited you. Was that um, a similar experience you've had with the healthcare system and maybe even the early psychosis program here at Headspace? Uh, yeah. The early psychosis program, that idea of positive thinking and, and really get getting involved in that is definitely, um, especially with depression, being able to look further than where you are at the moment mm. and having hope to move forward is is important and yeah. although it's somewhat impossible or feels impossible because you're already really really low um it's it's definitely the hope that can keep you pushing on yeah and um i guess how the what happened after with my experience in the early psychosis program is um after staying the night at hospital on sunday mm -hmm. i was referred to the brand new literally brand new headspace <laughs> youth early psychosis program in adelaide how long had it been open when you uh, my understanding was it was the first day they were accepting referrals wow. so <laughs> it really timed perfectly yeah definitely um so 
with the treatment order, there's a psychiatric review on the Monday yeah. and they decided it would be best to refer me there. And I genuinely would like to thank the psychiatrist on duty that day. Um, to me, they saved my life in some way. Mm-hmm. They, they pushed me to where I needed to be. So I was discharged and seen that day by the mobile assessment and treating team or the MAT team at home. Yeah. Uh, they asked similar questions but with a stronger focus in mind. I was still anxious and distressed and unable to answer really any of their questions properly mm-hmm. or coherently, but I can see now that was sort of all part of the assessment. Yeah. I was welcomed, I was encouraged and recognised. I was at home, so in a place inside my comfort zone, it made it a lot easier to be able to share my thoughts. They answered all of my questions, all of my parents' questions, which is also really important. And my strengths were drawn on and after hours support were provided, which I did use. That's great. And the most influential component of my recovery moving forward with the Headspace team was how open and informative their service was. Professionals, social workers, case managers, even the admin staff (laughs) at the front. Uh, They were always clear about my care plan, how long to continue for, when the next appointment will be, when I wanted it to be, uh, what happens or what needs to happen in the near future with medication, support access and any changes to my care. All my questions were answered and I had a lot of them and they came up more as, as time progressed and it was to continually satisfy that thirst of understanding I had. They were clear about the impact on my lifestyle, both short and long term. They even allowed me to try my own way sometimes. So this could make some laugh. But for instance, I tried going back to university in March of 2016. So that's uh, two months after being in hospital. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, With a five subject over full-time load. No, (laughs) I wouldn't even attempt that now. (laughs) (laughs) So that was sort of my thinking at the time. Mm. I was really a high-achieving person and I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that. Yeah. Um, but I think it was my first day at uni in a chemistry uh, sort of introduction. It wasn't even an actual prac. It was them talking about what was going on and what you might need to do. Yeah. Um, I think I walked out of there and was on the phone almost immediately saying, yeah, yeah. I can't do this. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I realised I could accept the further support I needed. Mm-hmm. The uh, maybe you shouldn't do that. Uh, voice that was coming from everyone Mm. Um, and of course the gap year of uni to do so and quite honestly that was the one of at least the best decisions I've ever made to take a break and to let my brain heal in some way and get on top of things yeah um so you've talked about some of your symptoms and your experience of psychosis with the headspace team um I'm interested what sort of treatments did you find most helpful and during your time I guess at the heart of everything going on was my thinking needed to change. Yeah. Uh, a lot of my emotion and mood was because I had placed a lot of pressure on myself. I was seeing myself as the problem. I was somehow a weakness or a burden to those around me. There was, I can specifically remember there was this one word I was challenged to remove from my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. It's a simple word, but it holds a lot of meaning, and it's the word should. (laughs) And if you look up the word 
should, one puts it like this. It's used to indicate obligation, duty or correctness, typically when criticising someone's actions. And when you're using that personally and in yeah. a negative mindset, it's actually quite detrimental to how you feel. And I was using it to point out to myself a failure. Mm. And it was constant. I was focusing on all the negatives mm. and nothing else could override that. If you like, I was living in the past. So to overcome this, I needed to be more realistic, mm -hmm. to look beyond those single negative components and see the big picture. And really, this is an example of CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy mm. to change the way we think and respond to behavior so that instead of feeling bad about what's going on you can see how it could be better next time or in the future yeah. then we have uh, medication but again I needed to change how I saw it so my mind had to change from being at that GP appointment and not wanting medication at all to realizing it could actually help that it's not a fixer it never is it can't be uh, not with mental health. That's I've never yeah. seen it like that. No. I couldn't rely solely on medication to make me better. But it was and always is a helper. It's that little buffer that you need to be able to get on top yep. of your health and yeah. to bridge the gap from poor health to good health. It supported my symptoms to be able to do that. I was actually able to build the tools I needed to live and to function. Um, so the antipsychotic that I was prescribed, uh, it did take some time to decrease in terms of the level of dose. Towards the end of the two-year treatment through Headspace and into private treatment after, we did actually begin focusing on reducing this dose of the antipsychotic. Mm -hmm. But it required an extremely small and gradual reduction so that I could maintain functioning and over a long period of time. So it was five milligrams when I was discharged from Headspace in 2018. And now that doesn't sound like much, but yeah. when you cut it in half to two and a half, it suddenly becomes not enough. I couldn't work with that dose, so we had to go in between. Which meant cutting a tablet in half and having another half with it. Or having a whole with it, I should I think say. Cutting half sounds hard. <laughs> <laughs> so it went from five to 3.75. Yes. Yeah. And then I could actually get to the 2.5 over some more time. Wow. And even then I couldn't go, so that's the smallest dose you can be prescribed. I couldn't yeah. go to zero at that point. I had yeah. to go half again. Um, and I really didn't get to zero until the 1st of July last year. So if anyone's good at quick maths, that was over a year and a half to achieve. Yeah. So from five milligrams, a year and a half to get to zero. A long time. Yeah. And it was a total of three and a half years on this antipsychotic. But so far, this method, it set me up for life. That's great. It allowed me to build the tools needed to bridge the ever-widening gap. Yeah. So that now I don't need it at all. Yeah. And now I have the tools to be able to function and, and operate normally. Can't recall when, but I was also prescribed an antidepressant, which is not surprising considering mm -hmm. that was the main focus of my symptoms. Yeah. I continue to take that. It's now at night to alleviate anxiety in the morning, especially with eating. Yeah. Um, and I've actually begun decreasing this as well, but differently again. <laughs> <laughs> so on direction of my doctor, and it's always with the direction of those professionals that you're working with, um, I now 
in taking it, for instance, three days in a row and then one day off. Yeah. Three days in a row, one day off. And every month I'm going to change that. So next month it'll be two days in a row, one yeah. day off. Then every second day. And then you'd think that you can go to zero. No, no, no. <laughs> one day on two days off. Then one day on three days off. Yeah. You actually need something like, uh, a doctor was saying, five half-lives in total, which is about over a week for yeah. the medication I'm mm. on. So I need a whole week without it before yeah. I'm actually Long at zero. Process. Yes. Um, but this patient... Or being patient about it is really the key and just just going through it, working, working the way it does and not being too worried about how long it takes. Yeah. And I've been the one in control of my treatment from the beginning, including changes to my medication and when, and the frequency of appointments. My treatment continues to be discussed respectfully with me to determine what would suit me best. That's and awesome. We're working as a team yeah. in that sense. That's great. And it's great that you're part of that team. How do you feel about the future then? Now that you're in this place and you've gone through this process of learning and evolving and developing your toolkit, um, how do you feel about the future and where do you see the future going? Well, I see the future as good. Um, right. <laughs> I'm confident. I'm, I'm a young person. I can keep going. Um, to give you context, I returned to university in 2017. So that's a whole year's worth of tools developed in my recovery with Headspace so mm. far. Um, I then had to accept support from the disability unit at uni. Yep. That was a little bit of a hurdle as well, but yeah. once you realise the system is there for you, for sure. you can accept it, you can oh, use the system. Yeah. You can't actually do anything wrong with it. Mm. Um, it managed to push me through and I finished my whole degree last year. And I'm just waiting for so the cool. uni to finish a few extra details, but soon I'll be teaching um, in a few weeks' time. Yay. And I'm almost a teacher despite what I've been through. And that's really powerful. So cool. I couldn't thank the care team at Headspace enough for the effort and support they've given me for those whole two years. And I am a better person because of psychosis, not a worse one. Now I can manage my time, my stress and anxiety. I can manage my sleep, stay on top of it and more importantly, know how it affects me. Mm. My social skills have improved and my commitments to my church, my education, my career and my personal life are now, I believe, at a sustainable and balanced level. Not forgetting to mention all those friendships I was questioning at the end of Year 12. They are actually now some of my closest and have been with me through all of this. And again, that's about perspective. That's cool. So now, yes, I am definitely confident about the future. That's so cool to hear. It's great you've been able to sort of see that big picture and change your thought responses and the way that you are seeing some of the world um all these new skills and the tools that you're using to function is great that you have your own toolkit now and we often talk about building your own mental health toolkit at headspace and it's great that you've been able to find your own with the support here yes thank you so thanks for sharing your story that's really powerful and special you're welcome cool so with what we've chatted about today there might have been some concerns come up um, and I guess, Danny, do you think you could tell us quickly if someone was wanting a bit of support or interested in accessing the service, um, do you, could you give us a bit of information about what's available and how we might do that? Yeah, sure, absolutely. I, I would just like to thank Angus as well to be able to hear his yeah. story. And um, he definitely is a teacher. I feel like I was learning a lot then. I'm not quite sure exactly what 
I've learnt, but I'll think about that later. And it's for about sure. um, learning from people's experience as a clinician. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate that opportunity. He's going to make a great teacher. Yeah, no for doubt. sure. So, uh, but yeah, look, here at Headspace Adelaide, that's what we're all about. Uh, we want to do early intervention in the context of early psychosis. Um, and we're pretty well connected now. Um, so we put a lot of work into that with the hospital system. So we get referrals for young people when they log into mm-hmm. EDs. Um, so the program certainly ensures this provision of early intervention. We often get people being quite surprised when we say, yes, we'll see them tomorrow or we'll see them in a couple of days or yeah. certainly we'll be within the week. And they're like, oh, really? You know, people get yeah. quite surprised. But that's a pretty strong KPI that drives our business. And that is around early intervention because we know you intervene early you get better outcomes in yeah. early psychosis. So, um, so yeah, we try to be very responsive and you know, and recovery focused for young people where we can. We do obviously work within a medical model sometimes with the medication, mm-hmm. but um, when we step back, the bigger picture is one that's a bit more holistic. Yeah. Um, you know, and we want to help people when they're potentially at some kind of high risk um, of experiencing a psychosis and you know, maybe, maybe having other risks present. So. To be eligible for our, the early psychosis program, you need to be aged between 12 and 25. Um, would take people on their 365th day of their 25th year. Yep, <laughs> we'll um, squeeze it in. We'll squeeze them in. And uh, experiencing either a first episode psychosis that's been established, maybe through a hospital admission or, yeah. or some other means, or that uh, people are assessed at uh, being at risk of developing a psychosis. So there's a category which we refer to as ultra-high risk. Mm. That's part of, of the model, and that's all very uh, strongly backed up by a lot of research now. So, you know, this can include young people who might be recording, uh, reporting a decline in their sort of normal functioning, the normal ability to do stuff. Uh, there might be family history of psychosis. People might present to a GP or other settings and have some brief psychotic symptoms or what we call attenuated symptoms. So the Early Psychosis Program can accept referrals from any source. It's one of the great things I really love about this program. People can self-refer, family, friends, uh, teachers, counsellors, and then all the sort of formal avenues through doctors and psychologists, and uh, we certainly welcome that. People can jump online. There's an online referral form on the front page of our website. Uh, I routinely guide people towards that. It's a really easy process, and if someone submits a referral, we will triage it the very next day. Um, Certainly that happens Monday to Friday, so it's a pretty quick turnaround response. Um, And that's really how to get involved, and I guess you'll be giving some details, Claire, of how people need to, if they want to ring the centre or jump online. Yeah, as with any podcast episode, there will be information attached to this if you want to go out and look at the Headspace Adelaide um, website, as you mentioned, Danny, and there's fact sheets and other resources available if you're wanting some extra information. But thank you so much, guys, for joining us today. It was such a great chat, and I think a really powerful chat. And I feel like sometimes psychosis isn't often talked about or addressed in the community. So thank you for those that are listening, but thank you guys for coming along and uh, giving us your expertise on, on the topic. No problem. You're absolutely welcome.